0: Alright, today we're in Matthew. We're going to finish up chapter 12, and then we're going to head into chapter 13. So if you've got your Bible, you've got an app on your phone, whatever you've got, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. And uh, we're going to work through a big portion of Scripture today, but, but really we're going to set the scene here at the beginning for where we're headed over the next uh, couple of weeks as Jesus is teaching in parables. But before we do that, let me pray. And then uh, we're going to dive in right in chapter 12, verse 46, and we'll go from there. Let me pray. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you uh, that as we sang, he is a good big brother and that he loves us and that he uh, allows us to cast all of our cares on him. And thank you, Father, that you are a good father who loves us and uh, that you've adopted us into your family through your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I thank you uh, that I'm forgiven and I pray this morning that, um, you would be pleased to work through me and in me, uh, that my words would be yours. Help me to teach uh, what you would have taught uh, and that it would be rooted in your word. I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He takes your word and he twists it. He, he causes us to uh, not pay attention. He causes us to, to go down paths that that aren't true and accuses us and even tempts us. So, uh, Father, today, would, would you work in our hearts and reveal your truth to us as we see Jesus begin to teach in parables. And I pray all this through Jesus. He's our only hope. Amen. Well, before we get to the parables, we need to kind of set the scene. And Matthew 12, 46 through 50 does that. Look at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold... His mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Well, remember where we've been the last few weeks? A couple of weeks ago, we saw Jesus uh, telling the religious leaders that he was greater. Who is he greater than? Well, he's greater than Jonah. Earlier in chapter 12, he's greater than the temple, he's greater than all the priests, he's greater than all the prophets, like Jonah. He's, he's greater in wisdom than even Solomon, he's greater than all the kings. Jesus is the greatest. That's what he's saying. He's like Muhammad Ali, except he can really say it. I'm the greatest, right? Jesus truly was. And that's what he does. He's greater than all of that. And this week he continues. But you notice, if you remember, when we were there, he faced opposition when he said those things. And he casted out a demon. And what did the some of the people said, this must be the son of David. They're like, this must be the Savior. But the religious leaders looked at him and said, no, I think that's Satan. I think it's Satan. And they... He had two varying opinions of him. Well, this week he continues. And notice it says, while he was still speaking to the people, his family shows up. You ever been busy at work and then mom calls? Or something happens and your family shows up. And that's what Jesus, he's he's busy. And "Hey, hey, Jesus, your mom's at the door. Your mom's here and so are your brothers. They're all here for you. Did you know Jesus had brothers, by the way? Did you know that he wasn't an only child? He was the oldest, but he wasn't the only one. In fact, it says it right here, his his mother and his brothers. Obviously, he was the oldest because Mary was a virgin when she conceived him. And in Mark 6, 3, and later in chapter 13 of Matthew, we find out that he has at least four little brothers who are mentioned in the text. Look at Mark 6, 3. Uh, or if you, if you just want to fast forward to the, the passage you're in, look at Matthew 13, 55 and 56. They hear Jesus and they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? There, there's four of his brothers listed. And are not his sisters here with us? So he had at least two sisters too. Jesus had a big family. So after having Jesus at a young age, Mary and Joseph, evidently they had more kids. And, and God blessed them as they grew their family. And in fact, two of Jesus' brothers who are mentioned here, Judas and James, end up writing books of the Bible. James, and short for Judas, was Jude. This isn't the Judas that hung himself. This is a different Judas. This is Jesus' little brother Jude. Hey, Jude. That's him, right? <laughs> Jesus grew up in a big family. He grew up in a big family. The Roman Catholic Church though teaches that that Mary had perpetual virginity that that she was a virgin the rest of her life. well, it seems tricky if Jesus had brothers and sisters doesn't it? how'd that happen? Well, they say, well, maybe Joseph was married before he uh, met Mary and had all but there's no evidence in the text for any of those things well. In any case, Jesus is teaching, and his mom and his brothers show up at the door. Hey, Jesus, we want to speak to you. They're asking for him. Do you wonder what they wanted? What did they want when they showed up asking for Jesus? What, mom? What do you want? What is it? Were they getting. Well, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 tell us what they wanted. They went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. Verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, his family, he, Jesus, is out of his mind. His family was concerned about him. Jesus, um, hey, is Jesus in there? Hey, Jesus, we want to talk to you. You're taking this whole Messiah thing a little far. This, this whole church thing, it's getting a little out of hand. You, you, you're a little overzealous, Jesus. He's He's going crazy. Gotta go get him. And they knock at the door. They're they're coming to get him because they think he's out of his mind. You ever have that experience? Some of you I know have. You you follow Jesus, you've chosen to follow him, and the result has been that your friends, your family, even has said, you're crazy. What are you doing? And and maybe even they tried to pull you out and say, No, don't, don't follow Jesus. Or maybe they even uh, would shun you and turn from you and not talk to you anymore. Well, do you know if you've got a family who thinks you're crazy for following Jesus, you're in good company? Because at this point in time, Jesus' family seemed to think that about him. Jesus' family seemed to think that about him. And when that happens, it's incredibly hard, but I would encourage you to take heart. First, I guess before you take heart, make sure you're not being crazy. Make sure you're you're just following Jesus and you're still being a good son, a good brother, a good father, a good mother, a good sister, like Jesus would have you be. But then take heart if they still reject you. Number one, Jesus knows what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like. And I can tell you from my experience when I was in high school and I became a Christian, when I decided to go into ministry, uh, without sparing you all the details, it was very hard on my family and it was hard on me, and there was some tension there. And that was hard. But also take heart, one, because Jesus knew that, but two, look what happens with Jesus' family. Jesus' family later, two of these brothers who are at the door saying, you're crazy, Jesus, let's go home. They end up writing books of the Bible. They end up believing in him and turning to him and trusting him. At least two of them did. I don't know if they all did, but at least two. And they follow him and they turn to him. Trust as you live out your life and live out your faith. Listen, Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit would work in their lives in such a way that they too would turn like Jesus' brothers did. And honestly, like I saw many in my family do, which was really encouraging. But that leads us to Jesus' response here. Verse 46, as we just read, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Somebody want to read verse 47 for me? Oh, do you not have verse 47 in your text? What happened? Well, it, this is just a little aside. But in your text, if you have the ESV at least, you'll notice there's a little footnote. And it says, some manuscripts insert verse 47, someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside asking to speak to you. They just kind of repeat it and clarify it. And likely what happened is when the translators went to translate this out of Greek into English, numbers aren't inspired they were added later just so we could find our way around the text chances are they started studying it and from the time that this was originally translated years and years ago they found an older manuscript that was closer to the original that didn't have verse 47 in it and so they said that one's older that one's closer to what jesus actually said that one's probably right so we're going to pull that out because that seems to be a footnote somebody put in just to try to explain a little better what was happening and we're just going to footnote that so you know that it's there that makes sense it doesn't change the meaning of the text at all. It's not an error in that sense where the text is wrong. It's just an oversight. Somebody's trying to make it clearer so we can understand it. But anyway, verse 48. Here's how Jesus replies when his mom and his brothers show up. He replied to the man who told him. He said, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Mom, how would you feel if you showed up at your son's house and that's how he replied to you? Who's my mom? Do I know you? Do I, do I know you? That'd be bad. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Does that seem harsh to you? That Jesus would reply in that way? Who, who's my mom? This is my mom. This is my brother. This is my sister. Jesus isn't even acknowledging his own family. He's He's busy. But a couple things here. He's simply pointing out who his true family is. See, at this point in time, his mom and his brothers are there for what? To take him away. They're like, you're crazy. you're crazy. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Jesus. You're going crazy. We got to get you out of this. Calm down, simmer down a little bit. But he goes, who, who's really my, my, it's those who obey me and do my will. He's saying my true family is my church family in a sense. Some of you, your family rejects you like Jesus' family at this time seems to have been rejecting him. And it's really hard. And some of you need to know that Jesus knows about it, that hopefully they'll come to faith. But you have a family that will last forever. And you're in the room with them. Your church family. This is your first family. This is your eternal family. And Jesus is telling his followers in the room this so that they would learn to relate to one another as family. Knowing that sometimes we're going to fight. But when we fight, how do we fight? Like family. We duke it out, but at the end of the day, we're still committed to each other. We still love one another. And you love one another. We love one another. We gain unity together as we see each other as family. And Jesus is saying, this is your first family. For those of you, uh, just one last time, if your earthly family rejects you, abandons you, you still have a family. You're adopted in. You're not abandoned. You have a good, good father who loves you. You have a really cool big brother who will stick up for you so far to the extent that he even died on the cross for your sins. So that when others accuse you, Jesus is like, nope, uh uh, I'm stepping in. He's a good big brother. You have a family. Now, I pray that your biological family becomes part of your eternal family. And you need to pray that as well. But don't feel abandoned. Jesus knows and he loves you. Well, that's the scene. Jesus is bombarded with all these people. He's teaching and his family shows up. And then finally, he's just like, all right, I got to leave. And he leaves. And look what happens. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, the same day as when he had said, I'm greater. The same day as when he uh, turned his mom down at the door. Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. When you read sea there, think Sea of Galilee. In other words, by the lake. Sea of Galilee is just a big lake. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. Wherever Jesus went, crowds showed up. People just followed Jesus all over the place. They wanted to hear him speak. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. So you got the scene? Jesus leaves the house after doing this teaching, and maybe he walks right past his mom and his brother's. And he goes down, and everybody's following him. He goes down to the seashore, to the lake, and he he finds a boat there. And he hops in the boat. He shoves off a little bit. And he's out in the water, and everybody gathers on the beach. And while he's there, he begins to teach them. He told them, verse 3, many things in parables. Here we're going to see over these next three weeks, this passage, Jesus, we're going to break it into three parts. And Jesus teaches in parables. So I guess that begs the question, what is a parable? What's a parable? Well, a parable is a story that's intended to illustrate an attitude or a principle. A parable is a story of everyday scenes, everyday relationships, everyday things that's meant to illustrate spiritual truths. So in his parables, Jesus tells a story that everybody can relate to. And what he's doing when he tells this story that everybody can relate to, he's trying to teach them something spiritually. There's something deeper there, some kind of metaphor that he's trying to teach them. It's a story, but it has a deeper purpose. It's a story that you're supposed to learn from. You know, some stories are just fun and entertaining, right? They are. Some stories, are, they're, just, they're just for entertainment. They're just for fun. When I was a kid, uh, one of our favorite, we were talking about this yesterday in the car. One of my favorite shows growing up was the Cosby Show. The I mean, Cosby Show was a lot of fun, but there was always, once in a while, there was a Cosby Show where they tried to teach you some deeper truth. Like uh, when Theo came home and he had a joint stuck in his history book. And he opens it up, and now all of a sudden, instead of being funny, It's really serious. And this is a story that's not just to be funny and be on TV. No, this is a story that's meant to teach you don't do drugs, right? I mean, that, that's the point of the story. Well, in the same way, Jesus' parables, there's a deeper purpose to them. It's not just a story for entertainment. They compel you to discover the truth. While at the same time, they conceal the truth from those who are too lazy to search for it themselves. So in other words, pay attention. Pay attention. When Jesus teaches parables, pay attention. Because here's what's going to happen. You're going to hear some of these parables, and they're going to be familiar to you. I'll bet most people in this room, you're going to know these parables. But when you hear them, some of you, you're going to respond like, oh, that's a good story. I've heard that before. But Jesus is telling a parable. He's telling it so that you would dig in and pay attention and lean forward and find out what's he really saying here. And for those who truly love him, Who really want to seek him and know him more, you're you're gonna hear what he has to say, so pay attention. Specifically, these parables are meant to teach us about Jesus' kingdom. So let's start with this first one for this morning. Verse 3. He's had a busy day and he gets in the boat, he starts telling parables. Verse 3, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground. In other words, here's a parable. Pay attention. If you've got ears, pay attention. Jesus tells them a familiar story. Remember, a parable is an everyday story, a familiar story that's meant to teach a deeper spiritual truth. And the familiar story to them is he's like there's a farmer who goes out to sow seeds in his field. That's the deeper story. And in ancient Israel, uh, the farmer would go out with kind of a, a sack around his side and with the seed in it. And he'd walk out in his field. He, he didn't have a planter. He didn't have a tractor and he would take the seed in his hand and he would just kind of liberally throw it out on the ground. Right. He just throw tons of it out on the ground and he didn't plant it in straight rows like we do with machines today. That wasn't possible. It was just, I'm going to, I'm going to the soil. And I'm going to throw it out. And, and what grows grows. And that's great. And he would throw out all this seed. And some of it landed in different places. And that's what Jesus is saying. For them, this is, a, this is just a common story. They see this all the time. The farmer out sowing his field. And Jesus says as he sows, the seed is going to land on four different soils. It's likely that this one farmer had all of these same soils in his one field. In his one field were all the same soils. And some of the seed, he says first, the first soil is this. So, number one, the first, it lands on what? The path. It lands on the path. Well, here's what the path is woven through these fields and around them were trails and paths that the farmer and that people would walk. Not, not unlike roads today, except they went like right through the middle of the field sometimes. Sometimes they went around them, but other times just straight through. You ever been out on a trail? A trail does what? Like you you walk through the trail, you're walking through the woods, and after somebody walks on it for so long, what happens to the trail? Whatever was growing there gets trampled down, right? And whatever's underfoot is trodden, and sometimes after it's packed down so much, it even gets to the point that even after people quit walking on it, they're still packed that nothing grows, That's the path going through the field. Look, he says, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. But what happened to those seeds? Well, the birds came and devoured them. It's hard ground. It's packed dirt. And the farmer, again, he's not like trying to throw it on the path. But he's just, he's throwing a seed and some lands on the path because they go right through the field. Well, that seed, that ground doesn't tell, it's not going to grow there. The birds are going to come and snatch it away. It's free lunch. But there's another soil, as he continues to tell his parable. In verse 5, he said, Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they didn't have much soil. Immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Soil number two is the rocky ground. This would be my yard. I'm pretty sure I live on a gravel pit. Pretty sure. It's just, it's rocky and sandy and, and nothing really grows. But what, I take that back. It grows in the spring and you plant it and you water it and the rains come and the grass just whoosh, shoots up. And it looks like I have like a, a better home, better homes and gardens. Is that right? That's that right. I have one of those yards. Like it's going to be on a magazine. It's going to be on HGTV. Wow. That guy knows what he's doing in his yard. Come back in July and walk out in your bare feet and it's crunchy. <laughs> like that's what happens in my eye. Like it shoots up, but then the drought comes and the hard times come and the sun comes and it gets scorched. Now, thankfully, my grass is fairly resilient, so it starts coming back in September, but honestly, the ground that Jesus is talking about is even worse than just gravelly, rocky soil. When he says rocky soil, you got to rem- remember where is Jesus? He's in Israel. And that ground is very rocky. And, and all throughout the ground, as you start to dig it up, you're going to find rocks of all different sizes. And in some places, the soil is just, you know, an inch or two deep. And you sh- shove something down in the ground, you take a shovel there, and your jaw is going to be rattling as you hit the rock right underneath it. And that's the idea here. Some, some of this farmer's soil, underneath that soil is rock. And the seed's going to sprout really quickly because that little bit of soil, when it rains, it traps all the moisture right there. But the seed, when the root tries to go down, what happens? It hits the rock, and so it pops up quickly. (laughs) And the seed pops up, and it grows. But then when the sun comes, the, the problem with this, since there's rock right there, then also it just gets scorched. And so just as fast as the seed popped up from all the moisture it trapped, that moisture rapidly disappears And it dies. I mean, imagine covering your driveway in an inch of topsoil and planting your lawn. It'd grow good as long as you watered it. But as soon as you quit, kiss it goodbye. It's done. It's not going to go deep at all. That's what Jesus is saying here. Some of that seed falls on rocky ground. That's the picture the people would have understood because it was an everyday thing to them. It was a parable. Well, he goes on again with... The third type of soil, other seeds, and remember these seeds are for a farmer. He's trying to get grain, not just grass to grow. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Now, do you suppose the farmer goes, hey, there's a bunch of weeds. I'm going to throw seed there. I doubt it. My guess is he had already worked the ground, but not all of the weeds got killed. Not all of the thorns and the briars their roots were still there, and they ended up growing up, and so, as the seed grew up with it, what happens? It choked it out. There were, the weeds and the thorns stole all the nutrients from the plant, and it just didn't grow. It got choked. It started to grow, but the thorns grew up and choked them out. Thorns robbed the sprouts of nutrition and water and light and even space. Back to my yard. I'm planning to spray it this week with Trimec. Why? To kill all the weeds. Why? So the grass will have room to grow and it won't get choked out. Why? Because I have a goal, a weird, terrible goal that I want to walk in my yard barefoot and play with Charlie someday without stepping on thistles. And I got a long ways to go. Because there's a lot of weeds there that grow up and choke out the grass. And Jesus says that some of the seed the sower threw had thorns that grew up around it and choked it out. But then he talks about a fourth soil in the farmer 's field, the good soil. There was also good soil in his field. See, other seeds fell on good soil and they produced grain. So they grew up and they produced fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, honestly, for these farmers, a ten fold increase was a very good crop. So Jesus is talking about well, this farmer struck gold man. A hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. That's really good. He's making his point to them. It grew. It sprouted up just like the the rocky ground and like the thorns and thistles, but but it kept growing to the point that it produced fruit, and in this case, grain. And each one had a different yield. And then Jesus says in verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. He's not just saying, if you have two ears, here. He's not just saying, like, can you make out the sound waves coming through? You hear some noise, here. No, he's saying, if you have ears to hear, here. If you understand, pay attention. Like the psalmist would say in Psalm 95, uh, verse 7, Today, if you would hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you would hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you have ears to hear, Jesus says, hear. Well, why would he say this? Why would Jesus say this? Why does he say if you have ears to hear? Well, because what is he teaching in? What is it? It's a parable. And what's a parable meant to do? To make you lean in and listen and think, and it's trying to teach you something. And so maybe you hear this parable. You hear this story about the farmer throwing his seed in the four different soils, and it gets choked out. You have to ask yourself, okay, what is Jesus trying to teach me? What is Jesus trying to teach me? Now, some of you, you just heard a good story. You don't care. Others of you, you're asking that question. You're saying, what is Jesus trying to teach me? And if you are, you're in good company because that's what the disciples did. They asked the exact same thing. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, it's... In some case, we're going to see next week, there was a case where the disciples just didn't understand the parable and they asked Jesus to explain it. This time, we don't know if that's the case or if maybe they noticed other people who were listening couldn't understand. And they're like, why do you speak to them in parables? Why, do you, why don't you just tell them plainly? You had to actively listen. So here's what he answers them. He says, well, to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. Couple of things there. To you, it's been given. Notice that the truth of the gospel, understanding the text, is given to you as a gift from God. If you care, if you want to know what Jesus is teaching you, that's a gift of the Spirit that I pray for every week before I preach that He would help us understand. And it's given to you. And He chooses to reveal Himself to us. But to them, Jesus said, It has not been given. See, when Jesus spoke in parables, he wasn't uh, trying to be mean and hide stuff from certain people. It was there for anybody who wanted to hear it. But he was saying, listen, think about all the people who came to hear Jesus and see Jesus. Some of them, they went to see him and they just wanted to see a show. They just wanted to see the miracles. They just wanted to hear the good music. They just, they, just, they just wanted to come hang out with their friends. They just wanted the show. But others, they came and, and they wanted to trap him. They wanted to hear him say something so they could trap him because they were enraged with him. And yet others, still they came because they really wanted to learn and they loved him. And so what Jesus has to do is he has to teach in such a way that those who really want to know about him can learn. And that those who are trying to trap him aren't going to be given something they can trap him with too soon. And that's why he speaks in parables. And so those who really want to know, lean in, and they listen. See, again, some of you today, you already understand his parable. Some of you are like, ah, that's a good story. And some of you are like, ah, I just don't care. You're just like the crowd that Jesus spoke to. For to one, for to the one who has more, has, more will be given, Jesus says, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. To the one who has, in other words, to the one who understands, he's going to keep understanding. He's going to keep learning more. Why? Because he's leaning in. He's listening to the parable, trying to figure out, what is Jesus teaching my heart? What am I supposed to do about this? It's like in Jeremiah chapter 29. Jesus, or the Lord says this to Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But from the one who has not, Jesus goes on, even what he has will be taken away. No knowledge or understanding from God. They don't even have that. And so what, they're, what are they gonna lose? Well, they're gonna lose their status, their wealth, their life, human knowledge, human wealth. See, if you're a Christian, this is the closest to hell you'll ever get on this earth. But if you're not a Christian, even what you have will be taken away from you, Jesus says. And this is the closest to heaven you'll ever get. Lean in and listen, pay attention. He who has ears to hear, hear. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. Some of you are like, that's like my kids. They hear me, but they don't get it. They see the mess, but they do nothing about it. The sincere seekers get it though, but for others, it's just a story without meaning. Indeed, he goes on, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. God told Isaiah that some people are going to hear you. Some people are going to see you, but they're not going to believe. But some will. So keep teaching, keep preaching, keep spreading the word. For this people's heart, verse 15, has grown dull, Jesus says. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they've closed hear with their ears and understand with their heart in turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. See the disciples got it, do you? The disciples leaned in and they wanted to learn what is Jesus teaching me? And not just what is he teaching me to fill my head, but what is he teaching me that's going to change my heart? Do you? His disciples did. For truly, Jesus says, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Centuries prior to this, this was all hidden. But now the disciples are seeing Jesus face to face. And then he goes on and he says, okay, so hear the parable of the sower. In other words, when he's saying hear, here he's saying if you've got ears, hear it. Here it is. Let me, let, me, let me spell it out for you so you understand it. Here's what he says. First, the sower... Is Jesus, right? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. The sower is Jesus, and the seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. So in this picture, the farmer is Jesus, and then by extension, anyone who comes after him who's who's teaching or spreading truth. So that includes me. I'm just standing up here throwing seed on you this morning. And for some of you, it's going to grow. For some of you, it's going to get choked out. For some of you, it's not going to matter. And that's what Jesus is doing. There was nothing wrong with the sower. There was nothing wrong with the seed. Jesus was true. His word was true. The problem, the issue was the soil. That's the point of his parable. And he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. Just like the bird snatched away the seed on the path. See, the path are those with hard hearts. The soil, see, each of us, we're a soil in a sense. All part of God's field, you're a soil. And you're one of these four. And, and Jesus says, some of you, you're, you're the hard path. And you're like the hard path, you're trodden. You're so hard that the seed lands on you and you hear God's word week after week, but you do nothing about it. Nothing. You hear it week after week after week after month after year after decade, and you do jack squat about it. But seriously, what do you do with God's Word? You're a hard path. And sometimes, for a hard path to grow seed, you know what has to happen? Hard things. And so, you need to hear it in a hard way that wakes you up this morning and you hear God's Word. And if you've got somebody you know whose heart is hard, don't go up and punch them like I did the pulpit, right? Maybe you ought to pray that something hard happens in their life so the ground cracks and so that the word of God finally gets down in the soil and can grow. If not, it's going to get snatched away. Some of you, I'm sorry, but you're a hard path and you need to get that ground tilled up and you need to respond to God's word. There's another soil though. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the rocky ground. Some of you, you're like this. Uh, This is the person who responds initially, I love Jesus. Yes, yes, I love Jesus. You know, they sing the song. They're all fired up. They're really excited. But then what happens? Something hard. A relationship falls apart, they lose their job, um, uh, something hard happens, and the sun comes and it scorches away what was there because it sprouted up. There was initial interest in their head, but ultimately it was just self-help and the root never made it to their heart and they're 18 inches away from heaven and from knowing the truth. Students, when you had to challenge in a few months, you're gonna come back fired up, but till the ground now so that you've got soil that's Good and that the seed will grow in and it won't just get scorched out when you come home. See, the psalmist says this Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked, not who walks in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And if you would read on, it's because his roots go deep. His roots go deep. Some of you, you need to really make it your own. Not just think it's a good idea, but really own it in your heart. Chisel away that rocky soil so that the seed would take deep root, So that when, this, when July and August hit and the sun scorches and the rain quits, you still grow. Verse 22, he keeps explaining. As for what was sown among thorns, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The thorns, this is the person, they hear the word. They hear the word, but ultimately they're just too concerned with this life. They're too concerned with this life because the cares and the concerns of this life choke it out. The deceitfulness of riches choke it out. We, we see people like this all the time. You know, they they'll come and they'll be excited about the gospel, and but then life gets what? What's the word? Busy. Gets busy, and I've got too much going on this week. I can't make it. I've got I've got this one. I can't make it. I've I, I, I've got to work today because I've, I've. And some people do have to work because they've got a job that that serves people and it's in the medical field, things like that that are necessary. Or in law enforcement. And that's I, I get that. But for some of us, we can. We could say, no, I'm not working that day. And with the deceitfulness of riches, the concerns of this world keep us from growing in our faith. I get too concerned with the here and now that I forget about the fact that this isn't my home. The deceitfulness of riches. Why is that deceitful? Is there anything wrong with riches, by the way? No, they're great. In fact, God is very, very rich and he's a good God. God. But it's deceitful to us sometimes because in our sin, when we get more, what do we usually want? Oh, just a little more. Uh, Maybe a little more. Then A little little bit more. A little more. And it's deceitful. It's never enough. Maybe the fact is that God hasn't given you more because he knows your heart. And he knows that as he does that, those are thorns that are going to grow up and choke out his word in your life. And he just wants you to be content with what you have with what he's given you well then there's a fourth soil as for what was grown on good soil this is the one who hears the word and understands it he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30 notice that the seed in the good soil bears fruit it bears fruit and notice that it doesn't matter if it's a ton of fruit or a little bit of fruit. Jesus says if it bears fruit, it's good soil. Now, here would be my question for you. If you're leaning in and you want to know and you look at your mind, what kind of soil am I? Well, look at your life. Have you, have you grown in your faith? Are you different today than you were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Are you more like Jesus today than then? Are you, have you borne some fruit in your good soil? And you can be good soil simply by leaning in and listening and tilling the ground and working it. The question is, are you listening? Do you have ears to hear? What kind of soil are you? As we close, let's do this. The worship team will come up. Um, But as we close, here's what I want you to do. Just go ahead and close your Bible, close whatever you've got in front of you, and just bow your head and close your eyes. Just right where you're at. I just want to talk to you Individually, Just you individually. Let your heart be still. And just listen. I know some of you, you're looking at me still and you're like, that's weird. I'm not bowing my head. I would encourage you, as Pastor Kent from the Vineyard said the other day, embrace the awkward. Just close your eyes, bow your head, and just listen. As you do that, let me speak to you. Jesus said... There's four types of soil. Some of you, the truth is that you're the path. Your heart is hard. Your heart is hard. And no matter how much grace, no matter how much seed, no matter how much truth is thrown and scattered upon it, no matter how much love, your response is always like the hard path. And it gets snatched away. If that's you... I would encourage you to repent. The reality is that Jesus still does work in hard hearts. He still softens the heart. He still makes you clean, still makes you new, and makes you pure. My prayer for you is that you crack the soil. Do the hard work so that the gospel would take root in your life. Some of you, it's just rocky ground. You've been all fired up for a little while, but then there's no depth and it just goes away. And then you get all fired up for a while, but there's no depth. Something hard happens and it all falls away. Dig down and pull some of those rocks out of the ground so that the root will go deep. So the concerns of the world wouldn't choke it out. Some of you, that's you. you were like the thorns. Jesus said that the seed sown among thorns yields nothing. See, when we don't obey God, when you don't obey God, when I don't, soon our lives become unusable to him. And it's easy to agree with Christ. It's easy to agree with his word, but have no intention of obeying it. It's easy to denounce the worries of life, to go, yeah, I shouldn't worry about that. The deceitfulness of wealth, yeah, I shouldn't care about that. But still do nothing to change the ways of your life. Considering eternal life with God are your worries right now. Are they justified? things you're worried about, the things you're so concerned with, in light of eternity, don't let those choke out your faith. Don't let those choke out God's grace. If you had everything you could want, but you forfeited eternal life with God, would those things still be so desirable? Don't let the worldly cares and the illusion of wealth deter you from obeying God. For all of us, lean in and listen hear God's word, till the soil of your heart, water it, fertilize it so that it would grow. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. I pray for each of us, especially for me, that uh, the soil of my heart would be soft, that it would be fertile, that your word would take root in our lives and that it would grow, that the roots would go deep so that when the hard times come, because they will, it's not if, it's when that we'd be able to still stand firm, that we'd still bear fruit, that we'd still endure, that we wouldn't be scorched and wither away. I pray that for each of us, Father, there's uh, there's a sense where you give it to us, but there's also a sense where we've got the, uh, the plow in hand and we can till the soil of our hearts and, and help the seed grow. I pray that we would do that. I pray for those, Father, who've never trusted you, that today might be the day that the seed takes root that they'd repent, that they'd turn of their sin and trust you. Teach us, Father, I pray. Change us that we would grow and bear fruit as individuals and as a church. We love you. We pray all this through Jesus, our Savior. Amen.